Well, good morning. Good morning. I'm glad that you are with us here at Christ Community Chapel, whether you're here in the sanctuary with me over in East Hall or watching online. We're glad that you are with us. My name is Zach. I'm on staff here at CCC, and it is my privilege to spend a little bit of time with you. And also to tell you this, uh, it is a really exciting time to be at this church. God is doing so many amazing things through the ministries of this church, and uh, I have really enjoyed over the last year uh, being a part of it. You know, I've always, since I've known about this church, I've been excited about what has happened here, what is happening, what will happen. But for my family, having moved now to Hudson and being here all the way, it, is, it has been really fun to go from telling my friends about what you guys are doing to what we're doing about how God is moving among you to about how God is moving among us. My pronouns have changed. Uh, we are with you, one of you, and that has been our joy. And in large part, that's connected to how warm and welcoming you have been to our family. So thank you. Thank you for making this transition so easy for us. And thank you for making it so exciting. And thank you. Person over here, thank you. Also, uh, it's exciting to continue our sermon series uh, on surprisingly simple ways to make Jesus famous. Now, when we say simple this month, when we talk about simple ways to make Jesus famous, we do not mean easy. That's important. Um, You probably already have figured that out based on Pastor Joe's sermon last week on forgiveness. These things are not easy. That's not what we mean. Rather, by simple, what we mean is that you don't have to be a professional to do them. Because a lot of times when we think about our annual theme, making Jesus famous, it is tempting to see that as the work of pastors or missionaries or teachers, but it is also the work of all of us. And the goal of this sermon series is to put forward ways that every person who follows Jesus can make him famous, regardless of what you do for a living or what circles you run in or what's going on in your life. Everyone can do these things. And this week, what we're talking about is generosity. So if you have a Bible, I would love to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. They're going to be on the screen behind me. But as you're turning, let me do two things by way of disclaimer. First, when I say generosity, here is what I mean. I have in mind when one person freely gives to another, not when we give out of obligation, not when we give because it's what it's expected of us. Now, that's okay. All, All giving, I suppose, is good, but that's not what I have in mind. I have in mind when you freely give, not out of obligation and not in seeking to make a name for yourself. Sometimes, some giving has more to do with the status the giver obtains by giving than by the one who is receiving. What I have in mind is a gift freely given just because the person receiving is valued. The second disclaimer is that we've already taken up the offering, and we're not going to do a second one. Okay, so what I have in mind here is not so much the generosity you show this church, although certainly, yes, that would be included, but generosity as a way of life, a way of living that is freely giving to others simply because they are worth it. So with those disclaimers in mind, let's read the words of Jesus here in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. Here's what it says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. 
where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's God's Word. I have four points by way of an outline for us this weekend. Pastor Joe's not here, so I thought I'd slip an extra one in, a little bonus content. And those four points are this. First, why generosity is beautiful. Second, why generosity is difficult. Third, why generosity is possible. And then fourth, why generosity makes Jesus famous. So why it's beautiful, why it's difficult, why it's possible, and why it makes Jesus famous. Let's start with the first one, why it's beautiful. Jesus says here in verse 21, maybe the most poignant thing he ever said about money. He says this, where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Another way of saying that would be to say, show me your online bank statement and I will show you your heart. Show me your checkbook balance and I will show you who you really are. Show me what you do with your money and I will show you what you really care about. Now, if you're like me, that is an incredibly challenging thing to say. That is a difficult, sobering, discomforting thought that God evaluates me based on my spending habits. And that is most often how this verse is read, as a kind of negative thing where Jesus is saying, hey, how you spend your money is who you are, and then we all kind of wince at that. And I suppose that's true. That is what Jesus is saying. He is giving us that challenge. But also buried in that sentence is really the idea of why generosity is so beautiful. Because what Jesus is saying is that every time we spend our money, we are saying something with our hearts. Every time we make a financial decision, it is never disconnected from what we care about and what we value. And that is why generosity is so beautiful and so powerful, because when one person freely gives a gift to another, they aren't just giving them something, they are saying to that person, you matter to me. You are valuable to me. I treasure you. You probably realize this if you've ever received a gift that was not given on your birthday or a holiday. I have five kids. They've already submitted their Christmas lists to me. Like a terrorist list of demands. And when I buy those gifts, that won't be generosity. It will be so they don't hold me hostage. Okay, that is not what I mean. I don't mean when somebody gets you a gift because it's your birthday or when they get you a gift because it's a holiday. I mean when you weren't expecting it and you weren't looking for it and someone shows up at your house or at your cubicle and says, hey, I was out the other day and I saw this and I thought of you and I had to get it for you. And then they give you the thing and it isn't the thing that's so special, is it? It's that what they're saying is you weren't with me. I was under no obligation to be thinking about you, but you matter so much to me. You're on my mind and on my heart enough that when I saw that thing, I just had to get it for you. They're also saying, hey, there are a lot of things I could have done with that money, but I could not think of any of them that seemed more valuable to me than you. 
It's a really powerful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Generosity is really beautiful. It makes me think of a story I heard a while back about a young family that uh, was trying to improve their station in life, a husband and wife and two-year-old child. And so they moved to a college town, and the, the plan was for the husband to get a job in the town, which he did, and then to start classes. So he would go to class at night and work during the day. She would stay home and raise their two-year-old son in the hopes that they would improve their lot in life. But they either didn't plan well enough or ran into some unexpected circumstances. And so their first night in their new town, they found themselves at the grocery store with only enough money to buy diapers for the two-year-old and food for the two-year-old. The husband told me they ended up sitting at the table with no food to eat, him looking at his young wife, fairly recently married, and saying to her, I can't feed you. Well, I don't know what we're going to do. We've made a big mistake. And right about that time, there was a knock on the door, and he went to the door, and there was a lady at the door, and she said, hey, I saw you guys just moved in, and I have a housewarming gift for you. Can I go down and get it? He said, sure. And on her way down, he was wondering if maybe they could eat the plant that she brought them. (laughs) And she came back up the stairs with two teenage sons, and they were carrying six bags of groceries. And she said, I I saw you just move to the area. I know how hard it is to move, especially with a young child. You probably haven't had time to go to the grocery store yet, so we thought we'd feed you. And you know, you hear that story and you think, man, what a beautiful story, not just because they needed food and she supplied food, not just because a need was met, but because here's a woman who saw a young family moving into the neighborhood and said, you know what, they matter to me. They're important to me. They're valuable to me. And they're valuable enough that I want to show them that by giving them groceries. Welcome to the neighborhood. Generosity is beautiful. And you know that. You know that experientially in your receiving, and you know that in your giving. So here's my question. If we all know that generosity is so beautiful, why is it that most of us would say we're not nearly generous enough? Why is it that most of us would say if we had to evaluate our generosity and we could choose between I'm way too generous, I'm just the right amount of generous, or I wish I were more generous, why is it that most of us would say the latter one is the best descriptor of us? Why is it that we would say generosity is so beautiful, it's so powerful, and then at the same time say, but I can't, I wish I could, ah, I'm just not able to be more generous. You know, a recent poll says that the average American has 93% of their income committed when they get it. Meaning 93% of our paychecks is already committed to something. So we, at best, we have 7% of our income that's fluid. And of course, fluid income has to go for gas or groceries or eating out or getting coffee. And so most of us would say generosity is beautiful, but for whatever reason, I've made choices so that I just can't be generous. Why is it that something so universally praised as beautiful is so difficult for us? And that leads me to my second point, which is to say, why is generosity so difficult? Jesus gives us a hint at at the answer in verse 19. Look with me at what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. He gives this in the form of a prohibition based on something he's seen. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, to his original audience, I've been watching you. 
I see what you're doing with your money. I see that you are laying up treasures for yourself on earth. Don't do that. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, it's really easy for me to push back from it and go, he's not talking to me because I don't have any treasures. And that's what most of us do. We read that and we think automatically that who Jesus is talking to is the income bracket right above us. It's them with their nicer cars and nicer homes and nicer clothes and nicer food. He must be talking to them. But I think Jesus is talking to all of us. Let me explain what I mean. Most of us identify with one of two extremes when it comes to money. Most of us would identify as either a saver or a spender. And the way you know which one you are is if I gave you $20, what would you do with it? And if you don't know which one you are and you're married, look at your spouse. They will tell you. Now, in my marriage, my wife Amy is the saver and I am the spender. If somebody gives Amy $100 at Christmas, she will still have it next Christmas. If you give it to me, I already spent it assuming you were going to give it to me. I'm just putting it back in the bank to cover my basis. When, when we go to dinner... Uh, Amy has this in mind when we go out on a date night to dinner. She says, how can I get out of dinner with as little damage done as possible? I go to dinner saying, how can I do as much damage as possible? We get in the car and she starts working me. She says, hey, what if we split a meal? What if we drank water? And I say to her, what if like a grown man, I ate my own meal and got a drink? and even wanted to see the dessert menu. You see, we're different. We're different in that way. And so it's easy for Amy to read Matthew 6 and to say, See, Zach, Jesus is saying, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Put down your own meal, put down your drink, drink water, and split with me. And it's easy for me to say, See, Amy, Jesus is talking to you. Don't store up treasures in the bank. But the reality is he's talking to both of us because even though it appears we're very different, in reality we're the same. Our treasure is on earth. You see, if you're a saver, what you treasure is security. What you tell yourself is that life will be good as long as I have enough money in the bank that no matter what curveball comes my way, I can pay for it. And if you're a spender, and I know this all too well, you say, life will be good when I finally get that thing that's going to make me look good or feel good or give me a weekend of joy. And it can be easy as a saver to look at a spender and say, you are so foolish. And for a spender to look at a saver and say, this is why no one wants to hang out with you. But the reality is we are both storing up treasures on earth. And the reality is as long as our priority is providing security for ourselves or providing satisfaction for ourselves, generosity will never actually be a good thing. You see, if you're a saver, generosity becomes an obstacle. You tell yourself, I can't take care of that family because if I do, who will take care of mine? I have to be responsible. I have to be safe. I have to be wise. If you're a spender, you will say, I can't take care of that family. I already took care of myself. I don't have any money left. 
The reality is that both the saver and both the spender cannot treasure others because they're too busy treasuring themselves. And the other problem with that is that Jesus tells us the thing that we're looking to provide for ourselves, whether it's security or satisfaction, we can't actually provide. Look at how he ends verse 19. He says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Then listen to what he says, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You see, he says, here's the problem. Whether you're chasing security or satisfaction, you can't ultimately provide that for yourself. Thieves will take it from you. And even what they don't take, you won't get to, and moths will eat it. Or even what they don't take and what you do get to will corrupt in and of itself when it rusts. You see, Jesus is saying, you are chasing your own security. You are chasing your own satisfaction, but you can't actually provide it. In other words, here's what he's saying. Don't you feel, when it comes to money, restless? Never actually secure. Never actually satisfied. Always telling yourself a little more in the bank, a few more things. Because the truth is, just as much as we reach for security and just as much as we reach for satisfaction, it crumbles in our hands. And so here's where we find ourselves, never truly secure, never truly satisfied, and because we're chasing those things, never truly generous. And I think if we were honest, we would all admit that this is how we feel when we look at our bank statement. But even right now, thinking about it, we feel incredibly restless, not secure, not satisfied, and not generous. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, the third thing I want to argue is that generosity is possible. Generosity is possible. Do you know who gets this more than anybody? Children. Children. I have five kids. The holidays are coming up. I'm going to take my kids Christmas shopping for my wife. And because she's my wife, I'm going to put them on a budget. And so we'll show up at the mall and I'll say to, I will say in my head, don't spend more than this, don't spend more than this. Actually, Amy will say in my head, don't spend more than this, don't spend more than this. But I don't tell the kids that we have a budget because that's not fun. So I just say to them, what do you want to get? What do you want to get, mommy? What do you want to get her? And a couple years ago, I took my son, Deacon, my oldest, who's a gift giver slash spender like me. We get to the mall and I say, Deacon, what do you want to get, mommy? And he says, I want to get her a drink machine. I have no idea what he's talking about. He's eight, could mean anything. So I said, okay, great. When we, when we see one, let me know. And so we're walking through a department store and he stops and he goes, there, there's a drink machine. I thought, great. And I'd look, it's an espresso machine that costs $800. <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, mommy would love this. And he's right, he's right. She would, she would, she would love it. And I said, oh buddy, we, we can't get that for mommy. And he said, why not? And I said, it's $800. And he said, isn't she worth it? (laughs) And she wasn't. (laughs) Because she would have murdered me when I got home. But you see, here's what Deacon was really saying. Something really powerful was happening there. You know what he was saying? He's saying, Daddy, 
The financial security of our family is your problem. Daddy, you having enough money left over to buy me presents so that I'll be satisfied is your problem. I showed up here with one thing on my mind, buying my mother something she would know that I thought she was valuable. That's it. Daddy, you showed up worrying about security. Daddy, you showed up worrying about satisfaction. I showed up saying, what is mommy worth? I think that's exactly what Jesus is saying to us here in Matthew chapter 6. He tells us in verse 20, look what he says. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And leaving aside the question for a second of what exactly he's talking about, there's another question, a more fundamental question that begs to be asked, and that is, but Jesus, if I store up treasure in heaven, how do I actually know I'll be there to access it? You see, when Jesus tells us store up treasures in heaven, he's inviting us to ask, well, how do I know I would get to heaven? How do I know I could be in heaven and have access to this treasure? How do I know I'm going to heaven? And to answer that question, you're going to have to keep watching Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And when you do, here's what you're going to find. Jesus always lives with security and satisfaction. Always. He'll even say things like, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't even have a place to sleep tonight. But he doesn't say it out of insecurity or desperation or need. He's at peace with it. He lives a life of satisfaction, never being tempted by monetizing his gift or his name, by finding some way to leverage his fame for his own gain. No, he's so satisfied. He is perfectly secure and perfectly satisfied. And if you ask him why, he will say things like this. Whatever my father does, that's what I do. Whatever my father says, that's what I say. I and my father are one. In fact, when he's baptized, the heavens will open and God will say about Jesus, this is my son and I'm pleased with him. And you get a glimpse of the reason why Jesus is so secure and so satisfied is that he is in perfect relationship with God, his father. And he understands that his security is God's concern. His satisfaction is God's concern. So Jesus, like a child, is able to say, if the Father is taking care of my security and the Father is taking care of my satisfaction, if I don't have to worry about myself, then I am free to treasure those around me. And what you'll see about Jesus is he's incredibly generous. He'll show up to villages and minister to all the sick. He, he never stops. He never needs me time. He never needs a break. He'll just minister and minister and care. And he, he gives away everything that he can. Why? Because he knows my dad takes care of me so I can take care of them. And yet when Jesus lives his life, here's what happens. The more we read, the more we realize that if Jesus' security and satisfaction are perfect because his relationship with God is perfect, then our lack of security and our lack of satisfaction 
is actually because of our lack of relationship with God. And because we don't think that God loves us and because we don't trust God, we, instead of being like a child, we try to be God. And so what we tell ourselves is, I will provide for my family. I will make sure we're secure. And we pick up that burden and that mantle and we feel restless. Or we say, I will provide for my own satisfaction. I will purchase my own joy. And we take up that burden and that mantle and we never really feel at rest so that actually the reason why we chase security and satisfaction is because we would rather be God than be in relationship with God. It's what the Bible calls sin. And yet when Jesus goes to the cross, here's what you find. This, this guy who has always had perfect security and perfect satisfaction actually gives those up. So that on the cross, he will cry insecurely, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And on the cross, he will ask others to meet his satisfaction when he says things like, I thirst. And you say, what's going on here? How is this guy who has lived with perfect security and perfect satisfaction, how is he now totally without those things? And the Bible tells us because he came to live in perfect relationship with the Father and to die in our place so that God could take his perfect relationship and give it to us and credit it to us. And he could take our restless, anxious rebellion and put it on Jesus so that on the cross, Jesus is coming up under all of our restlessness, all of our rebellion, and he's dying for it as God pours out his anger and wrath over our rejection and rebellion of him onto Jesus so that three days later when Jesus raises from the dead, God might be able to say, there's no more anger left for you. There's no more wrath for you. Grab hold of Jesus, my son, with whom I am well pleased, and he will introduce you to me, a good father who loves you. You see, friends, the gospel message of Jesus is that God himself wants to provide your security. God himself wants to provide your satisfaction. And to prove that to you, what he did is he took his treasure his only son, and he gave his life for you. And what does Jesus say? Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Which means that when God leverages his treasure, his son, on our behalf, God is telling us, I am spending my son on you because I cannot think of anything more valuable to spend him on. I love you. You do not have to be God with your finances. You do not have to wear that burden, pick up that mantle, but rather in Jesus, what you can find is a loving father who has proven he loves you. He will take care of you. He will provide your security and your satisfaction. By the way, it's interesting to note that this passage is sandwiched between two others where Jesus says exactly that. Before it comes the Lord's Prayer in which Jesus says, here's how you pray. Our father or daddy in heaven, help us. And just before, he says, why do you worry about what you're going to eat and wear? Don't you know that your daddy cares about you? You see, friends, Jesus came to convince you that God, the Father, loves you. And to invite you back into a childlike way of living that says, my security 
and my satisfaction are his concern, not mine. That's why Jesus says the treasures are in heaven and thieves can't get to them and rust doesn't get to them and moths don't get to them because the security and the satisfaction that Jesus has won for us is not just a relationship with God now, but one that will last through eternity. And this is what's happening is that God is inviting us in to see that the reason why we aren't as generous as we'd like to be is because we're so focused on ourselves, we cannot see what's behind us. But when you become convinced that God will take care of you, you begin like a child to say, if God takes care of me, then I can take care of those around me. If God treasures me, then I can treasure those around me. If God takes care of my security, I can provide for theirs. If God takes care of my satisfaction, I can provide for theirs. And you're set free, like a child, to be generous. That leads me to my fourth point, which is to say, why generosity makes Jesus famous. You don't have to be a Christian to be generous. Plenty of non-Christians are very generous. Generosity is not unique to Christians, but Christian generosity is unlike any other generosity because what it's saying to someone is not I value you and I care about you, but what it's saying to someone is my father takes care of me, therefore I can take care of you. So I'm here not because I value you and I treasure you, but because he does. See, Christian generosity is an invitation to the receiver to realize that God sees them that God loves them, that God treasures them. I told you that story at the beginning of the sermon about the young family, but there are two things I didn't tell you in that story. The first thing is that when, that hus- when the husband and wife were sitting there with no food, the husband said to the wife, hey, let's try praying. Let's ask if God sees us and he cares and he'll help us. And so they prayed and they prayed something like, you know, God, do you see us? Do you care? Do you know that we're here? Will you help us? Do you, if I can add in, treasure us? And then when there was a knock on the door and they went to the door, the lady at the door wasn't just a lady. She was a local pastor's wife. She didn't just have groceries. She invited them to church. The second thing I didn't tell you is that that was my family. And I'm that two-year-old. And you know, when I think about that story now, I think that lady, when she went to the grocery store, Two teenage sons, the last thing on her mind was buying another family six extra bags of groceries. And I don't know if she was a saver and she had to tell herself, it's okay, it's okay to spend this, it's okay to use savings to do this, or if she was a spender and she had to tell her teenage sons, we're not going to do what I said we were going to do this weekend because we're going to help this family. But here's what I know no matter what their weekend plans were, no matter what she would have put in the bank, 34 years later, nobody would have been talking about it. But here I am right now telling you about the generosity of God and how it makes Jesus famous because it made Jesus famous in my family's life. Because I can't even tell you that lady's name. I I don't know, I was two, I didn't get it. But I can tell you that Jesus loves my family and that he showed us that. Friends, your father loves you. He will take care of you. Not just your security, but your satisfaction. You do not have to look out for yourselves. You do not have to treasure yourself. You do not have to wear that burden. You can be free of it. He will take care of you, and you can 
Open your eyes to those around you and take care of them. I don't know what this week will look like. I don't know what opportunity you will have to see a new family that's moved into the neighborhood, to see a need and meet it. But here's what I can tell you. Savers, you can put that money in the bank. Spenders, you can spend it on Amazon. But 34 years later, no one will care about that. But you can radically change someone's life when you say to them, it's not about me. It's about the God who has shown me. He treasures me and treasures you. He sees you. He loves you. He values you. He'll take care of you. And he's shown that in Jesus. That is how generosity makes Jesus famous. Let's pray. Father God, Daddy, would you show us again, convince us again, maybe for the first time, that you love us, that you will take care of us, that our security matters to you, our satisfaction matters to you, that you've shown that in leveraging your treasure, your only son on the cross to get it for us, and that we might find rest in that, and out of that rest, we might begin to see for the first time all the needs of those around us, and in your name, Jesus, we might meet those needs. In your name we pray.